the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed, and hour number two is underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Friday morning, the fifth morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Thank you so very much for joining us. We're going to be talking momentarily, I hope, uh, with uh, our guest and attorney with the Alliance Defending Freedom. Let me give you as much of the background while we get her on the line as I can. Uh, ADF is representing the Lyceum, which of course is a classical education Catholic school in uh, South Euclid, you probably are well aware of. And uh, the Lyceum, very small, I think only 50 to 60 students uh, full-time, uh, or excuse me, students in uh, grades 6 through 12, uh, seven full-time um, uh, teachers on staff there. And again, it's a very, very faith-integrated, classical education Catholic school. They seek to form, according to their mission statement, lifelong learners in a joyful pursuit of the truth who is Christ, end quote. So as a faith community, the school uh, seeks to abide by and teach and convey the teachings of the Bible and the doctrine of the Catholic Church, including their teachings on marriage and sexuality. Okay, this is, uh, this is exactly what they're, they're built upon and what their, their entire uh, uh, school philosophy is based upon. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it looks like we may not be able to get our guest on the air after all. So um, um, this is the story. Again, I'll just kind of give you the, the nutshell version of it from, uh, you know, from what we talked about yesterday. Uh, a new ordinance has been put forth and passed in the city of South Euclid in which this um, Catholic school, the Lyceum, resides. And the ordinance is a sweeping ordinance that would force the school and all businesses in South Euclid to hire people and or, in the case of the school, enroll students who disagree with the mission 
and teachings. Think about that. It would force, in the name of, of uh, non-discrimination, a Catholic school to hire people who don't believe in the Catholic mission, to accept students who don't believe in the, from families that don't believe in the Catholic mission, specifically as it pertains to the LGBT community. Uh, Christiana Holcomb, uh, who we're going to try to reach here, uh, says the religious schools, that religious schools like the Lycia must be free to operate consistently with their faith without fear of unjust government punishment. That is their right under the First Amendment. But the city's ordinance threatens the small school with criminal penalties simply for selecting faculty and students who share its religious convictions. The Lyceum's uh, parents, students, and faculty have agreed to live by community standards rooted in Catholic teaching. The city's hostile regulation not only threatens the school, it undermines the rights of parents and students who deliberately seek out this unique faith-based education. Does that mean? Let's think about that for a moment. Let's say you're spending, and it's not cheap to go to the Lyceum. It is obviously a private school. It is a, a Catholic school, and its tuition is not for everybody. <laughs> in fact, not for very many of anybody. Uh, but for those who do and can afford it and, and want to send their kids to a school like this, they expect, for, especially for that dollar amount, they expect that Catholic doctrine to be followed, and that's what they want their kids rooted in. They don't want their kids being educated by someone who doesn't believe in that doctrine and maybe giving teachings and assignments and class discussion, etc., that run counter to the Catholic teachings, which is exactly what the LGBT community, the LGBT mafia, has been doing all around the country, trying to force Christian bakers to, to bake cakes for ceremonies that violate their doctrine, to trying to force um, you know, photographers, florists, caterers, and others to participate in events because they say so, um, you know, the LBGT weddings or these kinds of things, or participate in coming out transition parties, this sort of thing, that just are in violation of the Christian doctrine. They've been doing this everywhere, and now they're bringing it to South Euclid and potentially threatening the small Catholic um, uh, education that, uh, that you know, the, the uh, Lyceum is committed to, to presenting to children. Initial drafts of the South Euclid Ordinance contained an explicit provision that allowed religious organizations to act consistently with their mission and teachings. But the city council then removed those protections in the final text of the draft. The ordinance is also very vague, making it nearly impossible for the Lyceum's administrators to know whether the school's policies as they exist would be in violation of this city's ordinance. Although the school has made multiple attempts to obtain clarification, the city twice illegally refused to answer the school's public records request. And the school directly asked the city whether its ordinances apply to the Lyceum. The city refused to answer. So the school's leaders are left with no other choice but to proceed to federal court, which they have, and they filed this week, uh, reasonably fearing uh, that the li- that living out and articulating their faith with their faculty and their students would directly violate city the new city law and put them at risk of uh, an up to $500 fine, restitution, or up to 60 days in jail per occurrence. And my assumption is every day that a teacher is employed, um, or excuse me, every day that they are, are uh, um uh, found to be in violation of the ordinance by not employing a teacher or not accepting a family uh, based upon some of these doctrinal beliefs, 
um, those fines would accrue five hundred dollars a day, up to sixty years or sixty days rather a day uh, for these violations. The First Amendment does not allow government hostility, targeting, or discrimination against religious beliefs or schools because of their beliefs," said Holcomb. Unfortunately, South Euclid is threatening to crush the Lyceum because of its beliefs. The U.S. Supreme, and this is very important too, because the ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, is fighting tooth and nail for religious liberty. The U.S. Supreme Court has recently made it clear on at least two occasions that the First Amendment continues to protect the belief that marriage is a union between one man and one woman, and that's why we're asking a federal court to stop the city from enforcing its flawed and hostile law. So this is a big deal. The Lyceum versus the city of South Euclid. Uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom, again, is doing the great work here. They are, You know, I don't want to overstate it and sound <laughs> uh, overly dramatic or melodramatic, but when I say this, but the, the Alliance Defending Freedom really is doing the work of God. They're doing God's work because they are protecting people's right to believe in God and to worship God as their Christian principles uh, dictate that they do. That literally makes it God's work. So when we talk to you about ADF, um, I, I do so with the most reverent, reverential of tones because I am so very um, supportive of what they are doing, and I hope you are as well. All right, we're going to get a quick time out here. We're going to see if we can make that connection to the attorney or not. If not, we'll come back and take your phone calls as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Ethos.com. All right, it's 1021. The Bob France Authority continues. Uh, I'm going to try this and see. Um, we have failed at every turn to try to get our guest on the air. We'll see if this one does work uh, on our uh, on our hotline. Uh, we're trying to reach Christiana Holcomb, who is representing the Lyceum in this case. Christiana, are you there? I am. You were successful. Good morning. Okay, uh, good morning. Um, okay, I... Um, I, I pretty much gave the background of the story to our listeners during the last segment when we were trying to reach you. Why don't you give us a, 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 maybe a first-hand account of how ADF became involved in this case between the Lyceum and the city of sure. South Euclid? Sure. Well, the Lyceum, which, as you know, is a small classical Catholic school in South Euclid, first became aware that the city was considering an ordinance that might um, threaten and jeopardize its religious freedom through the diocese, and when it first became aware of the ordinance, it reached out to some mutual friends who were a connection with Alliance Defending Freedom, and they recommended that the Lyceum contact ADF attorneys and see if we could help. And uh, what did you find when you first uh, heard uh, about the ordinance that uh, the Lyceum was concerned about? What was your first impression when you got involved? Well, our first impression was that there were very clearly some deep constitutional concerns with the ordinance, and we made that very clear from the beginning. You know, the Lyceum showed up to multiple city council meetings, uh, advising members of the city council to really slow down, take a look at this. They highlighted the fact that it was a religious freedom concern, a concern for free speech, and many other deep constitutional concerns. Alliance Defending Freedom actually sent a letter to the city of South Euclid prior to the time when they passed the law, um, again, highlighting the fact that there are major legal issues with this law, but the city refused to listen. They went ahead and passed the law anyway, 
uh, we followed up again with another letter from the Lyceum asking, do you intend to apply this law to religious schools like the Lyceum? And the city essentially said, go find yourself a lawyer. We can't tell you. So the Lyceum has been left with no other option. I'm sorry, let me, if I may, I apologize. They, there, you, so you there. Requ- the Lyceum is requesting clarification, and that's all they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're not challenging mm-hmm. anything at this moment in time. They're not finally, they're requesting, can you tell me how this ordinance will impact uh, uh, an educational institution, a Catholic et- educational institution? And the city said, none of your business. Is that, is that, is that yeah, what that, happened? That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Look, the Lyceum is well known in the city of South Euclid, especially given the number of times it showed up to the city council meetings. And it was very clear in the letter, look, this is how we operate. We are a distinctly Catholic school. Theology infuses and permeates and undergirds everything that we do within our school. Does this law apply to us? And are you planning to apply this law to us? And the city just refused to say. So, Really, again, the Lyceum has been left with no other option but to assume that the law and, by the way, its criminal penalties of $500 in fines and up to 60 days of jail time will be applied to the Lyceum. So it's been left with no option but to proceed to federal court. Christiana Holcomb is our guest. She is one of the attorneys with the Alliance Defending Freedom. She is handling this case for the Lyceum. It's my understanding, Christiana, that um, the original draft of the ordinance did protect religious institutions like the Lyceum. Um, and then the language that did protect them was stripped out of it before it was put into the final draft. Is that accurate? You're exactly right that initial drafts of the ordinance did include some type of religious exemption. But as you also mentioned, that was later taken out of the draft, and the final law was passed with no clear exemption for religious organizations. So it's pretty clear that the city then intends to apply this law to religious schools like the Lyceum. Um, explain exactly what it is that um, uh, the, the Lyceum is concerned about. Um, are they concerned about people applying for faculty? Because as I read you know, the ADF summary on this, you know, they're talking about faculty and or students. If, if, if somebody applies for a job at the Lyceum, who happens to be uh, uh, perhaps of the LGBT uh, community, um, and they're not hired, the city of South Euclid would view that as a discrimination, and they would not allow, because of course, as we talked about the Catholic doctrine, to be used as uh, the reason for denying employment. And, and, and perhaps the same thing for a family that may be trying to enroll a student. Uh, is, is that the concern here? Is this all about the LGBT agenda and their, and their attempt to essentially force religious institutions to capitulate to that? No, it's significantly broader than that. Right. So under the law, it would not even be legal for the Lyceum to select Catholic faculty, regardless of you know, marriage and human sexuality issues. This law actually prohibits a religious community from making decisions based on its own Catholic faith, um, down to whether or not their faculty who communicate and, and teach Catholic theology would even have to be Catholic. So you're exactly right in that the law has broad, massive ramifications for the Lyceum. First, it would affect their ability to hire faculty who communicate and transmit the faith to the next generation. Um, Secondly, it could impact their admissions decisions, whether or not they can require their students to joyfully submit to and, and, yeah, be joyfully receptive of and, 
and submit to the teachings of the Catholic Church um, that are presented throughout their school day impacts restroom and locker room use, whether or not the Lyceum can, according to its beliefs about biological sex, require that boys only use the boys' facilities and girls use the girls, and athletics teams, and, and just on and on. So the law has massive ramifications for basically every aspect of how the Lyceum operates. Yeah, that's why that's where the LGBT be- part comes in that I was talking about as it pertains to facilities and so on and so forth. I think mm-hmm. I think a, a, a casual observer or of this conversation would say, "What are you worried about, Lyceum? What non-Catholic is going to want to send their their child to this very strict doctrinal Catholic institution? Why would anybody do that? You know, no Muslim is going to say, "Go, go and 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 uh, and attend this uh, this Catholic school." Uh, chances are. Atheists aren't going to shove their kids into a Catholic school. Jews aren't going to shove their kids into a Catholic school. What are you worried about? That's what they would say. How do we respond to that? (laughs) One would think, right? But unfortunately, the Lyceum has already encountered at least two situations where they had individuals apply who were combative and directly um, contrary and contradicted Catholic teaching on marriage and human sexuality. And the Lyceum said, look, you're not a good fit for this school. We're not a good fit for your family. You're not going to be happy here. But in that type of a situation, um, those families could then turn around and file a lawsuit against the Lyceum or file a complaint, again, triggering these criminal penalties for the Lyceum, yeah, this, this is an LGBT challenge. Belief. This is exactly what I was talking about, right? I mean, this is this is why. I mean, you know, in 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 uh, uh, Mespi's Cake Shop, I mean, they knew full well what bakery they were going to, and they knew full well there were dozens of bakeries that they could have gone to. They went to this one and demanded this because they were trying to attack religious liberty. And I fear and feel that's exactly what is going on here as well. This is a you know, while it is much broader, and you're correct, it could be for a, a variety of reasons, but the challenges that you're talking about it sounds like you talked about marriage and and uh uh and human sexuality this is an lgbt aggressive agenda push and they're attacking this particular institution as just their latest target well we're certainly concerned especially given the fact that they pulled the religious exemption that they do intend to target religious schools like the lyceum who should under the first amendment be free to operate consistently with their faith but that's why alliance defending freedom has filed this federal lawsuit you guys are so important uh, all of you at ADF, everything that you guys do, every time we see somebody in need of defense, particularly in defense of religious liberty like this, you guys are there. Um, you don't get paid for this, though, right? I mean, the, you know, the Lyceum is not retaining you and paying you. This is uh, ADF ser- legal services are completely um, uh, pro bono. Is that right? Exactly right. Yeah, all of our legal services are free to our clients. So it's our privilege to represent them and ensure that these important constitutional freedoms are protected. I just want people to know that because what you're doing, I, I said before you came on, is truly God's work. I mean, honestly, you, you're, you know, the ADF work is God's work because literally you're protecting people's rights, businesses' rights, educational institutions' rights to, uh, to, to practice their, their belief in God, uh, um, in, in whatever manner is consistent with their religion. So it really is God's work. And I know you're not getting paid by the Lyceum and I want to ask people, um, if they can, to, to, to help. How can people donate to ADF? And I know this isn't your field. You're an attorney. You're not in marketing. You're not in, <laughs> in philanthropy or anything else. But seriously, can, how can people help? Because, you know, you're talking to Cleveland, Ohio right now. This is happening, of course, right in our backyard in South Euclid. So how can people support your efforts to support and help the Lyceum? 
Certainly. Well, if anyone's interested in supporting the Lyceum or just learning more about their case in general, please feel free to visit our website, which is adflegal.org. I appreciate that. Like I said, I know you're wrapped up into the legal aspect of this, but I just want to support your organization, too, because what you guys are doing is so very, very important. Christiana, I uh, I hope uh, we can stay in touch uh, as this uh, as this lawsuit makes its way through the courts. Um, I, I know this listening audience is very, very deeply uh, involved in this case because they believe in religious liberty. They believe in uh, everything that the Lyceum stands for and that you guys are standing for. So I hope hopefully we can uh, uh, we can talk to you again as this case goes forward. OK. Absolutely. My pleasure. We appreciate you very much. Thanks so much for what you do. That's uh, Christiana Holcomb, uh, attorney for the Alliance Defending Freedom, a very important organization. If you want to respond to that story, we'll try to make some time for you in the next half hour. But coming up directly, I told you we were packed today. We're going to go also to the east side of Cleveland, out to East Lake. And we're going to talk to the chief of police in East Lake, Larry Reich, about uh, a case that's drawing a lot of attention. It's got a lot of controversial aspects to it. You may recall it. If not, we'll remind you after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Theaters. Ten thirty-six. Now we continue the Bob Brant's Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer: A free for all Friday is very, very filled with a lot of great guests uh, because there are a lot of very important stories, uh, like the one that we just talked about in South Euclid. Want to stay on the east side now? You do recall, right? The case of the twenty-year-old uh, East Lake man who uh, allegedly encountered a seventeen-year-old East Lake male sexually assaulting a five-year-old Eastlake male. Uh, This happened uh, last month, and when he saw the encounter, uh, he acted. Richard Adams is his name. He's 20 years old. He reportedly walked in on the 17-year-old committing this sexual assault and physically accosted him to stop him. Uh, But according to some, he went a little too far with his assault to stop the attack because he saw fit to then post it on Facebook. Uh, especially images of the individual that he assaulted to stop him from continuing the assault on the five-year-old. So as a result, the 20-year-old Richard Adams was uh, was arrested and charged with assault. The 17-year-old, whose name is being withheld because he's a minor, was charged with the rape. And to say that there has been a cry of public support for Richard Adams is an understatement. And people have targeted the East Lake police saying, why'd you arrest him? He didn't do anything wrong. He was saving a five-year-old kid. Matter of fact, it got so strong, the support for Richard Adams, that a GoFundMe account was created. And uh, as of, I want to say about a week ago, week and a half ago, the... Um, $30,000 goal was eclipsed very, very quickly. And if that number has kept growing, I'm not exactly sure what it is. That lets you know how the public feels about supporting the 20-year-old. And I thought, well, let's talk to the East Lake police. And let's see if we can uh, find out exactly what the law says about the way they handled the situation in arresting and charging Richard Adams. And kind enough to come on with us now is the chief of police in that uh, city of East Lake, and that is Larry Reich. Chief Reich, thank you so much for joining us here on AM 1420 The Answer. How are you this morning, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me, Bob. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. All right, Chief. Um, 
I, I, I laid it out, and I'm just going to kind of give you a little bit of uh, a broad range here to kind of talk about what the law says here as it pertains to this. I mean, I think we all, from a reactionary standpoint, can can sympathize with the emotion involved, you know, with this 20-year-old seeing such a disgusting, vile act of molestation being committed on a young child. I think we can all say that from a reactionary standpoint, we all might have been, uh, you know, inclined to move to stop such a thing. And that part is probably okay, but now can you talk to us about the law and why the officers felt like this was more than just that? Well, you know, to not get into the specifics of that case, but in general, you know, we we hope and encourage people when they do see uh, crimes, especially of violence, if they can intervene safely to try to do so to protect, you know, the especially the innocent. But there are times, whether it's a stand-your-ground case, whether it's someone breaking into your house, whether it's anything like that, there comes a point where, you have to stop. If somebody would theoretically break into your house and they come into your house with a knife and and you shoot them once and they go down, that by by most accounts would be a justifiable shooting. You call the police, they come there, they take their reports, they do all the work, and then uh, there may be a review by a, a second party and then that would normally be filed that way if after you shoot that person if you go ahead and, and get your phone and live stream you know some attempted confession from that person and and shoot them again you're going to have other issues to say that you're still in fear for your life that you're still in that same situation to uh to dictate um law enforcement is one part of the justice system we don't get to be the judge jury and executioner we're, we're our profession legitimately so is criticized at times when we we there's an appearance that we do go overboard with a an arrest or or, or something where let's say a police officer is hurt we search for the people who hurt that police officer once we encounter that person if that person gives up peacefully they need to be taken into custody peacefully whether they shot assaulted ran over whatever they did we don't get to decide at that time this is what this person deserves in return we have to use um some restraint obviously police officers we have we're, we're trained differently than you know a, a 20-year-old in this case, or, you know, the general population, but we all know, and we've all been taught when the fight's over, it's over, and those things all go into the uh, idea of when to charge, whether we charge, whether we pass the buck to the prosecutor and let him make that decision, but um, there's times that we have that decision made by others in this case uh that decision was made that evening so uh, we're talking with the chief of police of east lake uh larry reich on am 1420 the answer so in this case the officers decided to arrest and you're saying the officers made the decision to charge rather than handing this okay we're arresting this guy uh we're going to talk to the prosecutor tell him what we found this is what we saw and so it's not the prosecutor making the call right now this charge is made by the officers and 
how does that work if the prosecutor looks at it and says, no, nah, I disagree, I don't think I can do anything with this? Can the prosecutor just overrule and dismiss? Well, the process in this case was the parties were brought in, and we gathered statements and got the information. Um, the shift supervisor advised me, and I came in and spoke with him, and we were of the same opinion that this should be charged then. We uh, we held him for the overnight, and the the judge saw him the next day as far as bonds concerned. Uh, the next step of the process is it goes to court. It starts at the municipal court level, and our city prosecutor would work with his attorney, and if something could be resolved at that level, it is. For any felony charge, the other option is to bound it, bound, bind it over to grand jury, and the, um, then they would determine whether it goes to a felony court. Um, there are times that the prosecutor either, I, I mean, he is the one, he is the city's voice. He is independent of the police department. So if he doesn't feel that there's enough cause or um, evidence to to secure a conviction, he can either work out a plea bargain for a lesser charge, he can um, drop the charge entirely, or if he feels there's enough to send a felony court and a person's a good candidate for felony court, then he can send that um, to Lake County. So, Chief Reich, um, obviously you've heard the, the, the complaints that a lot of uh, citizens have made, and certainly on social media and so on and so forth, and the GoFundMe account that was started. A lot of people are really upset that this guy got charged because they feel like he's a hero. Uh, and, and I understand exactly what you just said about the limits of what you're allowed to do in defense of another especially someone who is defenseless, somebody who's innocent and is being in the, in the course of, uh, of having a crime committed against them. There are limitations. But yet you hear what, uh, uh, what the public are saying, or a, lot, a large segment of the public is saying. What message do you have for them um, on behalf of your officers, on behalf of the shift supervisor, on behalf of everybody who you know, took all of the factors into consideration and made the decisions they made on how to handle this? What, do you, what can you say to those who are just so frustrated and angry because of the graphic nature of a crime like this uh, on behalf of your guys? Well, I think a lot of your listeners and, and viewers in the past are pretty pro-police, and I think a lot of the people who would would probably lean that way who are against us in this case. And I understand that, and I'm all for civil disagreement. Um, unfortunately, especially in this case, but in in the past when people don't seem to agree with others anymore, we go right to a vile, uh, disrespectful, uh, hundreds of voicemail messages and emails and things like that. We, Is that what you're getting, Chief? Oh, absolutely. And I didn't know been, that. I, I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know they were by. I just thought people were kind of expressing themselves on social media, but they're calling the department and leaving nasty messages about it. Yeah, and they, you know, including fi- some people finding other phone numbers to leave messages on. But oh and it's just so unfortunate that you just can't truly be on two sides of an issue, discuss it, understand each other's point of view, and then get that, okay, I still don't agree with the decision that you made, but I at least understand the situation a little bit better. And anyone with any type of um, civil response to us, we've tried to relay that information. After the our initial post on this, and then, and, and 
let's be fair, the GoFundMe wasn't exactly organic. It was family uh, begun by a family member, which is sure. fine, and people yeah. could do what they want with their money. But the um, once we had our initial post out there and the thousands of, of posts regarding that, mostly negative, I tried to post something on our Facebook to indicate what we're talking about, that, you know, the same thing that I said in Michael Brown and Rodney King and all these things, that justice is a process. It's not a result. You can't say, I want justice, and then it doesn't go your way, and then you want to do other things because you didn't get your form of justice. The the process of what the police do and then hand off to the prosecutors and judges and probation officers and then to possibly a penal system, that is all part of what makes this country better than most places because we have those um, abilities to do that. Uh, th this individual, in this case, spent you know eight to ten hours in a cell by himself, a clean cell, was fed, he, he was cooperative, he was released the next day because there was no reason to hold him because there was n nothing that... Uh, showed that he wasn't going to show up for court. So, you know, the we just want people to respect that there may be more to things, and if, if a person's a subject of an investigation, they could go on the news the next day, and they could release whatever they want. The, the police and the prosecution, and, you know, that's not, we don't try our, our cases that way, nor should we, but it, it allows for people to, to get one side, and it, mm -hmm. then they tend to be a little more sympathetic, which is, again, th this is a, such a unique case. never seen something like this in 26 years. Hopefully not to the end of my career I ever have to deal with something like this again or anybody, but it's going to evoke a lot more... Um, volatility and emotions, but just like I mean, you've you've done talk shows for years. You you can discuss things with people, totally disagree with them without screaming and yelling and calling them names and threatening and you know wishing them negative things. So right, right, that's right. that's what we want people to keep in mind that you know we're trying to do a job here, keep everything into consideration, especially what we're sworn to do. And we just want people to respect that process and, you know, live with the result regardless. And if there is some redress, do so civilly. Yeah, you know, the thing is, Chief, being a cop is a hard job. Uh, some of us realize that, uh, and some of us support cops because it's a hard job to make hard calls in, in, in very short periods of time to make decisions like this. Uh, it's, but but we're also very disgusted by a crime like this. So, you know, for example, myself, I was so disgusted when I heard somebody caught the predator in the in the act and beat him up. I thought, good, that's what the guy deserved. That's what a predator deserves. But then, you know, I, and I was mad when I found out they arrested him. But I also understand there are laws. And when I hear things like this, I'm going to read this to you real quick. Uh, a law professor at Case Western, I saw him on TV, said... The police are getting a lot of flack here for doing exactly what they're supposed to do. We have evidence that two different crimes may have been committed in this case. We're going to arrest both of them. We're going to refer it to the prosecutor and the prosecutor decide what we're going to do. In some regards, you see this oftentimes in domestic violence situations where a police officer arrives on the scene with a 911 call about domestic violence. Husband's got a black eye, wife standing there with a frying pan, and she's got a black eye. 
Husband has a knife on his hand. In his hand, you just arrest both of them. You, they they let it get figured out. After uh, uh, and after that, everybody goes through the process. And that's what I think. You know, we have to remember here before we start shouting terrible things at police officers for arresting a guy that some people would see as a hero. Understand, there may have been a terrible crime that was being committed, but if another crime was committed in the course of stopping that, the police have a duty to 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 make that arrest and and to turn that over into the you know to the court system. And that's what I think people need to know, right? Exactly. And as a final example, I remember a case a while back where a young girl was hit on the roadway, car took off, a a group of people followed the car, cornered them, pulled the person out of the car, and the person ended up getting beaten to death. And then the girl, I, I believe, ended up dying as well. And, you know, that's just not, you know, right now Brunei is in the news because of, you know, their amazing punishments for yeah, their seventh for, century uh, uh applications of laws that they've decided exactly but so we just can't buy into those things and say this is the way we want um people to act if bad things happen let us get in there get all the information and let the the system take over. That's right. Let people do their jobs. Police officers have a very important role in this. Then the prosecutor has a role. Then a judge has a has a role, and on down the line. And that's uh, that's where we are with this. So it's a really complicated, controversial case, Chief. But I certainly hope people will calm down uh, with their uh, opinions on this and stop threatening you and your guys and everybody else. It's a it's a very difficult thing that we all have to deal with. And uh, and I really appreciate you coming on to explain it from the uh, uh, from the police point of view, Chief. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Good to talk to you. East Lake Police Chief Larry Reich on AM 1420, The Answer, laying out the facts of that case. If you want to react, I've got time for a few phone calls before the top of the hour, right here on AM All right, final segment of the broadcast, as always, is a short one before we turn it over to Mr. Mike Gallagher to take you through the rest of your morning. He'll get you into Prager, who will start your afternoon. Stay in the, stay in the afternoon with Gorka and Elder and all the way down the line. Seculo, of course, as well, and Elder. Let's go to uh, Lisa in Medina County. I bet this is Lisa Woods, because I bet there is a McFan meeting tomorrow. Hi, Lisa. Hey, hi, how are you doing? I'm good. What's going on? Hey, we don't have a meeting tomorrow because this is one of those special um, weekends where we had a fifth Saturday, and I get a little bit of a oh, longer yeah. break. So I'm so excited to enjoy that this weekend. Our meeting is the 13th, and I just wanted to remind folks, because rather than every other weekend, it's every second and fourth Saturday. So and, don't uh, drive you know, out we'll there our... to Cherokee Hills tomorrow. You'll be disappointed. <laughs> Nobody's there. Please don't, yeah. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> right, good. I pre- right, right. I appreciate you reminding everybody because I kind of thought it was this week too. So, uh, so I'm glad you, sure, you made that note. Sure, you know, even my mental clock does too. But uh, no, I'm going to enjoy my day with my family, and I really, really um, love those those extra Saturdays that I, when I get them. And I also wanted to say that we still will have a Senate update on the 13th, but it'll be by Christina Rogner, Senator Rogner, rather than uh, Aboff. He something came up. And he was quick to make sure that, you know, someone very capable from the Senate will be able to still give us that very important Senate update on the 13th. Awesome. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for letting us know, Lisa, and make sure you call back the week of the 13th so that you can uh, remind us about that very fact. Thanks so much. Mark in Fairview Park, you're on the air. Mark, go right ahead. Yeah, Bob, I'll move fast here. We're cutting uh, not much time here. Yes, but uh, your uh, extrapolations and explanations of the current issues uh, to your audience is one of the main reasons I'm a fan of your show and I propagate it. Uh, but you and uh, Peter, Peter Kusin have left me in the dark last week two separate times. Uh, okay. When you mentioned some statement about uh, Beto the Clown, you know, having his wife eat excrement, I didn't think it was proper to bring it up when I called you on, on Wednesday but then you yourself mentioned it. And I was wondering, could you probably it's real. explain to me what that's all about? And if, if this guy <laughs> said something like this, what kind of a miscreant is this, Beto? I'll hang up and listen. Okay, uh, thanks very much. I, I'll tell you what, though, I, I'm probably not going to be able to give you the answer you're looking for right now on that because of the interest of time. I've got 45 seconds left in the show. But, yes, if you look it up, if you Google it, Beto O'Rourke and... Uh, if <laughs> his wife and and feces, uh, you will you will get the story. Uh, I just don't have the time to tell it right now, especially because I want to spend the last thirty seconds reminding everybody about another event tomorrow: the Greater Cleveland Police Scholarship Fund, their eighteenth and final annual Salute to Heroes benefit and dinner auction. I will be hosting the event tomorrow night at the Downtown Weston, uh, and there are still tickets available. It is going to be a great crowd of over two hundred people, but there's still room for more. If you want to be there, call two one six. 398-4924 216-398-4924 Hope to see you tomorrow I will definitely talk to you on Monday Have a great weekend Enjoy the silence Three-star general Michael J. Flynn Head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency Knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to He understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.